This is episode 37 of the weekly Eye-Catching Words podcast, published on the 15th of August 2023. Hello, my name is Justin Dix and welcome to my weekly podcast where I try and empty my intellectual, emotional and cultural pockets out on the table for everyone to see. At the moment I'm in a slightly unusual position where I've been ordered by my doctor to get out, get as much steps in as possible every day and de-stress my life as much as possible with things that I like doing. You'd think this was a fairly easy task. It would be if I didn't keep falling asleep every three hours. However, I am giving it my best shot. So a characteristic of my last week has been getting out and about as much as I can. So my week began uh, on a Tuesday, as it always does, for reasons connected with this podcast, when I went for a long walk in London and dropped in on an exhibition at the Tate Modern. This was an unlikely pairing of the works of Hilma F. Clint and P.A. Mondrian. Now I knew nothing about the former and a reasonable amount about the latter, but what took me by surprise was the number of early works of Mondrian and how beautiful they were, but also how conventional and how far he travelled through his life's journey towards becoming one of the more abstract painters. Hilma F. Clint, I have to say, I was a bit more ambivalent about. They were paired because although they never met, they both created their own unique languages of abstract art rooted in nature, according to the Tate Modern website. I think the main issue was for me from this exhibition was that Mondrian evolved quite considerably, whereas Hilma F. Clint didn't she in many ways actually went back to some of her earlier themes so you've got less of a sense of growing but having said that both artists produced some really beautiful works and Hilma F. Clint's big canvases which you'll find in the last room were absolutely lovely some of them conventional some of them very much about the personal spiritual journey that she was on the rest of the week was fairly uneventful and characterised mostly by doing short local walks and trying to do as much housework as possible to keep myself busy and meaningfully occupied. good thing about housework as well is it exercises a, a wider range of muscle groups, as my son likes to tell me. This is the son who is also addicted to scones. And this brings to mind yet again the question of what is the right pairing of a scone with cream, jam or butter, uh, and in what order. However, I do have an answer to this. The correct answer to how to eat your scone is as follows. Butter, followed by jam, followed by cream, followed by a visit to A&E. Very simple. Very traditionally British. Friday, however, was a rather special day. One day when I did actually manage to sustain my energy levels a bit more than usual. Uh, I met an old friend in London who was down from the north of England 
and we did something we tend to do every one or two years which is to go for a long walk in London and set the world to rights and do some male bonding. Now since the Barbie movie came out there's been a whole new set of discussions and perspectives on what is it like to be a man or a Ken. We however had no such problems as being two wise old geezers in their middle 60s who are blessed with having a sense of perspective on the past. We simply reflected on our lives and walked, took in the beautiful sights and stopped and talked to a lot of strangers. Now I wish I had uh, recorded some of these conversations because they were actually really, really interesting. We came across the very large red swing bridge that sits uh, on the river at Rotherhithe, which I have talked about before on these podcasts as it's a favourite stretch of the river of mine. On this occasion, two men in high-vis jackets were painting it. Now it's a very, very big piece of metal with lots and lots of nooks and crannies, some very, very large nuts and bolts. So we talked to them about their um, the work and they said it would take them about 14 weeks to paint this bridge and that they've recently done another one further down the river, which we did actually come across later on. But uh, we also had a conversation about modern life as a, as a workman or workwoman. Uh, this followed on from a recent conversation I had with uh, a lorry driver friend of mine who told me that he now had a spy in the cab which not only monitored his activities but also meant that if he tried to do anything, even eat a sandwich as he was driving along, this would be picked up by the camera in the cab and he would get a bollocking for it. Or as they say in health and safety terms, he would be given instructions on how to consider his behavior and do some retraining. Uh, if he persisted enough times, he would also get the boot. These guys that we met who were doing the painting of the large piece of red metal on the river at Rotherhithe said that their lunch hours in pubs were a thing of the past for the same reason that they were very closely monitored on everything they did. I'd like to pick this up again later when we come on to the topic of Aldous Huxley and whether technology serves man or man serves technology. Anyway, walking down the river, we developed uh, some interesting strains and ideas. The first of which was uh, to discuss Noddy in Toyland. Now, I cannot remember how we got onto the topic of Noddy in Toyland. For those of you of my age, Noddy was a fairly ubiquitous book character who I don't think nowadays is as popular I hope not because he frankly was a bit of a weirdo uh, and he lived in a land created by Enid Blyton which had a whole range of mythical characters uh, including a number of goblins two of which were known as Gobbo and Sly. Now my friend and I decided to see whether we could take on the characteristics of these two characters between Gobbo and Sly sounded like potentially very very interesting characters for a new Netflix drama. So we developed a scenario, we developed a potential screenplay where Gobbo is a loud-mouthed Newcastle gangster and Sly is a rather weaselly South London gangster and the two of them become an unlikely pairing who are given a task to do. Uh, unlikely pairings are really interesting. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is a good example. Tom Stoppard took those two minor figures from Hamlet and wrote a whole play 
around them, which was very largely built not just on their existential dilemma and the fact that they were going to die. You know that because if you've ever seen Hamlet, one of the closing words is that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, so they are fated. But it was also built on their character differences and their character variations. Anyway, if anyone out there wants to commission us to write a screenplay for Dobbo and Sly, the two gangsters from Newcastle and South London, just get in touch. We probably won't be able to do the work, but we can ask you to give us 10% by way of royalties. <clears throat> by the way, that brings to mind a very old schoolboy joke, which goes like this. Why do the elephants have big ears? Because Noddy wouldn't pay the ransom. Now that is a very surreal line of thought. Moving along the river, we came to a boatyard where a man was painting the bottom of an aluminium hulled boat. He was quite happy to chat, and I think he was actually very bored. And let's be honest, painting a boat is probably no more interesting than painting a large piece of red architectural industrial history. Now I know nothing about boats, but apparently there are real issues with aluminium hulled boats. Uh, apparently they make a real noise out of the water. Slapping against the hull is much more pronounced. Um, but there are a number of other main issues with their maintenance. Uh, one of which is they do corrode, even though they don't, even though they're not subject to rust, they still corrode. Rivets are more likely to become loose. There is such a thing as aluminium fatigue as well. So we had quite a long chat about the pros and cons of aluminium boats. And then I noticed that there was a supervisor just tapping their foot, watching him. When I say supervisor, I think it may have been his wife. So we quietly thanked him for his expertise and moved on. One major disadvantage of the walk, which I should have said, is downriver from Canada water to Greenwich, is that most of the pubs don't open at lunchtime. So if you want to get some food, and as it was a hot day, something to quench your thirst, you will really struggle. One of the most beautiful pubs on the river is called the Blacksmith's Arms, but we couldn't go in it because it didn't open until four o'clock in the afternoon, which was rather strange. The majority of them don't open until five, uh, although obviously they do open at lunchtime on weekends. The stretch of the river between Rotherhithe, Deptford and Greenwich is variable. It's not as pretty, probably, uh, or as historically interesting as the walk upriver towards Tower Bridge. But there is some amazing green space. Russia Dock Woodland in particular is absolutely gorgeous, although curiously was very deserted, surprisingly given that it's now the school holidays. My favourite conversation along this walk occurred rather later on, where we stopped at the Dog and Bell for a drink and I got chatting to the landlord. Now I have a history with the Dog and Bell, which I explained to him. About 45 years ago, I was with a group of friends and family and the landlord at the time, who had severe anger management issues, decided we weren't drinking up fast enough during drinking up time. Now, for those of you that know South London pubs, drinking up time is generally considered to be a loose affair, or at least it was in those days. And I think to be challenged at 11 minutes past 11 to finish your drink was not considered good form. One thing led to another, and you could say that we had an exchange of views. And 
the landlord of the pub completely lost his temper, quite irrationally I might add, and had to be restrained by two of his regulars. It was a case of the Kamanari calm down situation. This in itself is not unusual. However, a couple of months later, someone waved a copy of the South London Press in front of my eyes and said, uh, you had a close shave because the landlord of that pub had subsequently been arrested and banged up for stabbing one of his customers. Could have been me, as they say. I told this story to the current landlord of the Dog and Bell, who is an absolutely charming man whose name I did not get. And he said that his vague knowledge of the history of the pub suggested that in those days there may have been a few links with organised crime and gambling. And the speculation was that he had wanted to uh, close the pub on time so he could get all his poker mates around the table to play poker. There you go. We will never know. It's way, way in the past. Our walk along the river eventually brought us to Greenwich, a place that both of us have a huge amount of history with, which I won't go into on this occasion, but let's just say it may have involved further tales of uh, drinking and daring do back in the 1980s. As I said, my problem at the moment is that I'm prone to exhaustion. So that was for me a very, very long day. And the only way I managed to get through it was through having frequent stops and rests. Saturday, by contrast, was more of a recovery day, although I did get involved in another local walk, which took in the local Peace Garden. Now, if you ever come to Woking, this is a little hidden gem which you really ought to make time for. A Muslim cemetery was emptied in the 1960s and the graves relocated elsewhere. This contained the graves of servicemen from both world wars uh, and between uh, who had served the cause of the British Empire or the British government or the imperialist fascist regime of the, of Britain, depending on your political perspectives. Ten years ago it was turned into a really beautiful memorial garden and the trees have now matured and it, it really is a lovely little sight. Sunday was what my daughter calls a zero day, when you stop even trying to pretend that you've got any energy left and just park up for the day. This was made easier by the fact that everyone else went out and left me on my own. This is when I came across an old recording of Aldous Huxley being interviewed on the BBC in 1961. Now Aldous Huxley is most well known for Brave New World, which is often quoted alongside 1984 as being one of the two great dystopian novels of our age. What was remarkable about this interview, which I will play in a moment, was Huxley's almost prescient vision of how technology could take over the lives of people rather than being allowed to serve people. And in the current context of artificial intelligence and the fact that the world around us is increasingly generated, not by our own efforts, by the efforts of machines and software and algorithms. Listen to this because it really, really was a standout. Brave New World Revisited, which was published about two years ago, you did claim that much of what you forecast had come true. I mean, for example, the, the use of drugs and, and uh, this instance of people having their thoughts directed while they were asleep 
through music being played or, or messages being played through their pillows and so on. I mean, in which societies do you think that most of what you forecast has mostly come true? Uh, you can't say that it's a question of national peculiarities or even entirely of political peculiarities. I mean, I think when the technological and applied scientific means are developed, they just tend to be used. I mean, I think one can say the whole history of recent times shows that if you plant the seed, it proceeds to grow, and it grows according to the laws of its own being. And the laws of its being are not necessarily the same as the laws of our being. I mean, hence the, uh, the, this uh, sense of which so many people have, and which I think one sees in so many societies, this sense that man is being subjected to his own inventions, that he is now the victim of his own technology and the victim of his own applied science instead of being in control of it. I think that this is perhaps one of the major problems of our time. Man, uh, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And in the same way, uh, technology was made for man and not man for technology. But unfortunately, the development of, uh, of recent uh, social and scientific history has created a world in which man seems to be made for technology rather than the other way round. And we have to start thinking about this problem very seriously and seeing how we can re-establish control over our own inventions. Suppose that this rather frightful prospect comes about. I mean, are people going to be happy under this kind of regime? Well, I think you could. I mean, this was one of the, the sort of what I may call the messages of Brave New World, that it is possible uh, to make people contented with their servitude. I think this can be done. I think it has been done in the past, but and I think it could be done even more effectively now because you can provide them with bread and circuses and you can provide them with endless amounts of distractions and propaganda. That was Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, speaking on the BBC in 1961. Hi. The following advertisement is brought to you by the LAD Life After Death Corporation. Have you ever wondered what will happen to you after you've gone? All those wonderful videos, Facebook comments, photos of birthday parties, school and college certificates, articles you wrote for trade journals, such as Tractor Monthly? Don't you think family and friends should be able to easily dip back into your history? If you had any sort of talent or eventful life, Maybe it would be of interest to complete strangers. Yes, death doesn't mean you can't still be a celebrity. The LAD Corporation now offers a unique QR code on your gravestone which means that anyone who comes across you in a graveyard can skin you and spend as much time with you as they like. You can have a life after death. We even offer a multi-level password protected service so that individuals can access specific areas of your history. That time you and your girlfriend wore gimp masks and sent the video into Pornhub? That can still be available to selected subscribers. In fact, you could monetize yourself in the hereafter. Think of it as being like, only fans, after death. And the service continues to develop. With our new AI-enabled programs you will soon be able to generate new content long after you've gone. Never got round to recording I did it my way during your lifetime? Well, your AI-generated avatar can do it for you and probably better. Yes, contact the LAD Corporation now and you can have a guaranteed life after death. 
Don't be selfish. Think of all your families and friends who want to stay in touch and think of all the income you could generate for your loved ones. Coming soon to a graveyard near you. That's all from me for this week. Just a couple of notes. Uh, one of which is I've avoided the news for personal reasons in the last week. So if you're expecting one of my usual rants about what's right and what's wrong with the world, I'm afraid that will come back later. Talking of what works and what doesn't, everyone was very, very positive about my conversation with my son last week, and we have planned out a series of future podcasts with two dicks, which we'll be doing over the coming weeks and months. We've got a really great lineup of topics ahead. This week's play out is from the original London recording from five guys named Mo Choo Choo Chiboogie. Have a great week and enjoy. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please check out the website. You can find this at www.icatchingwords.blog. If you want to contribute, want to be interviewed, or just have an idea that you think we should explore, please send this into the email address that you can find on the site. You can also leave voice comments on Spotify. The Eyecatching Words podcast is published every Tuesday on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music and is free of advertising and subscription charges.